I'm Tim Fleming, and this is Better Outcomes, a podcast about stories and experiences from the underrepresented minority side of medicine and healthcare, featuring both patients and providers with the goal of making medicine more equitable for more people. Colleen Flanagan has been to the Capitol several times in recent months, and she's been escorted out just as many times. You see, she's a disabilities rights advocate with the national group ADAPT, and if you haven't heard of them, you've probably seen them on the news. At around 11.30 a.m. today, about 60 people, a lot of them in wheelchairs, turned up at the top, the offices of the, the top Republican in the Senate, Mitch McConnell's office. They blocked the entrance to the McConnell's office. They, they were chanting, no cuts to Medicaid, save our liberty. One of the protesters held a sign over the entrance to McConnell's doorway, capping Medicaid equals death for the disabled. A number of these protesters ultimately got out of their wheelchairs and laid down on the floor in Senator McConnell's office and in the hallway right outside. No cuts to Medicaid, save our liberty. Capitol Police started getting their zip ties ready so they could start the arrests, so they could start handcuffing people and taking them away. You can see here one of the protesters who was lying on the floor in Senator McConnell's office was picked back up and, and placed back into a wheelchair to be removed off the premises by Capitol Hill Police. This was just one of the hundreds of news stories that day. Colleen and ADAPT demonstrated against the passage of the American Health Care Act and the subsequent Graham-Cassidy bill in the very spots where they were being crafted. She sat down to talk with me about why those demonstrations were so necessary, how Medicaid is far more important to disabled Americans than able Americans might know, and why hospitals are, unexpectedly, really tough for disabled Americans to maneuver both physically and financially. We're actually, let's see, we are recording now. Um, Thank you so, so, so much for being here. And I know that I just started that super formally, but we, I would, uh, it would be better if we didn't. Um, Yeah, so why don't we just start off, Colleen, introduce yourself. Um, Yeah, go for it. My name's Colleen (laughs) Flanagan, and I'm a disability rights activist. Um, Pretty much always have been. Uh, I've always lived with disabilities, but even, I would say, from being like a teenager, when starting to recognize how it impacted the rest of my life um, socially, I got into, you know, social justice causes, especially around disability rights issues like accessibility, inclusion, Um, just general acceptance of people being disabled. Um, And so now I'm like in my mid-30s, I'm still a disability rights activist. Um, But over the past year, a lot of my work has centered um, with the um, fight around healthcare and with the group called ADAPT, uh, where we've done some pretty radical, provocative things to try to save healthcare, especially um, Medicaid in particular, because Medicaid has a lot of, um, it funds a lot of things for people with disabilities that no one else will. So when it was put on the table that they wanted to completely destroy um, Medicaid and put it all at the states, uh, myself and a lot of other disability rights advocates kind of freaked out, um, got together. We've always kind of been together under ADAPT in different ways, but we got together pretty strong at the beginning of this year. and. Um, gave it our all to try to make sure the message got out there that uh, 
there's a lot on the line for people with disabilities. There's a lot on the line for anybody with a body mm-hmm. if they're going to destroy healthcare as we know it and make healthcare even harder to access. But uh, for people with disabilities, especially people with pre-existing conditions like myself and so on, and you know, long-term disabilities that need services and supports, um, it was extra scary. Cause right. Yeah, there was there was some serious. Um, that were being put on the table. And so you mentioned that you and the other folks from ADAPT did some, I think what you just said was like pretty provocative things, but to me they were, and pardon the language, but it was truly the most badass thing I've ever seen. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. Want that? <laughs> it was, it was, so take us, or yeah, take the listeners through the moment where, you know, you guys decide you're going to do something, and then what was it that you guys actually went and did? Okay, so again, we, we, we come together on teleconferences, through retreats and conferences to plan actions that will promote disability rights, especially around long-term services and supports. Those are things like wheelchairs, personal care attendants in your home, anything that helps with home and community-based services. Mm-hmm. So we were together, but then in the beginning of the year, in March, when Paul Ryan proposed the American Health Care Act, the, the House version of um, the repeal of Obamacare. We were, we got together and said, you know, this is, we can't just be silent about this. You know, we had all the projects that we were working on, but this kind of, this came, that we had to act fast. So a bunch of us um, actually met in D.C. in March to take a tour of the Capitol, of course, because, you know. A quote-unquote tour. A quote-unquote tour. I mean, we had <laughs> nothing better to do than to take a tour of the Capitol. Um, so we went through the visitor uh, called center, the visitor center, got our headsets and our, you know, badges. And once the tour made it to the Capitol Rotunda, um, we began chanting um, that we would rather go to jail than die without Medicaid. And... They let us chant for a while, um, and then not too long after the Capitol Police came and started um, taking us away, and they, they closed off the rotunda for any mm-hmm. press or visitors um, and eventually removed us all um, from that. Yeah. But, yeah, that was the first ADAPT protest that was to say we, we can't tolerate um, our country decimating our health care. That bill eventually, I mean, we had the protest, and like three days later, it was passed by the House, which mm-hmm. was, eh, not that great. <laughs> right. Not, not the intended outcome. Not the intended outcome. Right. That's exactly what I was getting at. Right. And then um, once it made its way into the Senate, and it was clear that Mitch McConnell was going to allow it to go to a vote, um, and when the, I mean... As you probably remember, they were just so secretive about what was even in the bill. There was, like, nobody knew anything. And this was, you know, something that affects every single person. So the day that it was expected that the bill would be released to the public so we could find out what the heck they were even talking about, um, we, we as an ADAPT, met in Washington, D.C. again. And this time we protested outside, and some of us inside, like I was actually inside Mitch McConnell's office. Mm. Um, and the timing couldn't have been better because <laughs> we were hoping it would be around the time that they released the bill to the public, but it was like the same time in like the same hour wow. as when we started protesting and chanting outside Mitch McConnell's office. The U.S. Capitol Police, of course, quicker this time, came to remove us. 
Um, but because all eyes were on that anyway to see what was in this health care bill that everybody was so terrified for, um, we got a lot more press than we typically do, um, which was great because it allows us to kind of elevate the message. And a lot of people, surprisingly, weren't that aware of um, how home and community-based services and things that people with disabilities need to work in the community, be good parents, be good neighbors, they need it to be paid for. A lot of people didn't realize that that was all buried in Medicaid mm -hmm. and um, how like detrimental it would be to us if, if that went through. Yeah, I certainly did not uh, understand the, the lengths of, or I guess not that, but the width of, of Medi Medicaid and how far it goes in, in ensuring you know, people who are disabled, they get the services that they need. And I, I think it also, something that you just said that I, I want you to kind of speak a little bit more about is you said it allows us to be good parents. It allows us to kind of live our life. Um, going into the first time that we met, I think I had a very clear image in my head of, of what disability is and uh, how I perceive it and, you know, typical you know white guy I was like I know exactly how I think and it's all fine it's, it's perfect and as soon as I saw the images of you all so angry you know I was like this is there's a whole portrait of this community that I'm not seeing and it's because I'm limited based on like my yeah. understanding of, of my perception of what a disabled person's life is actually like <laughs> That makes sense, see? And that's why the press was so good. And right. brought a, a lot of the conversation out, which, um, because, I mean, this one in five Americans experiences disability. And it's, a, it's an experience that most of us will, will have. But what people don't realize is if you need assistive technologies like a wheelchair or hearing aid or um, other assistance like personal care attendants, an actual human being to help you with whatever, it might be toileting, dressing, um, somebody who um, is like a visual guide who can help um, if you are blind. All of those ass assistants, um, they're, they're really not paid for very, very well in this country. It's very hard to get them. So most people who experience disability also experience isolation, lack of being able to contribute to their community like they used to before they were disabled um, or just never had the opportunity to because they were always disabled. But <clears throat> I, I think what was so scary about this particular healthcare fight is through Medicaid, which is a poverty program, first mm -hmm. of all. So that's, that's a whole other separate topic. I believe all health insurances, or I believe that there should be more access to the funding to be able to live disabled because certainly some people have really, really high costs, but they're like at the fringe. The, the, the one in five mainly have not as expensive as you would think, but there are still costs associated with it, you know, whether it be some type of assistance with walking or some type of assistance with getting in and out of your home because of stairs. Um, to get that funding is really hard. You have to basically get it through Medicaid. And um, how Medicaid is built right now is if you are inpatient, like in a hospital or another type of inpatient institution, group home, um, something where they 100% take care of you simply because you're disabled. Like, you know, if you can't 
take yourself to the bathroom independently. If you need technology or another human being to help you, um, you might end up having to be in an institution because that's the only way that that funding is entitled. Um, if, if Medicaid was to be slaughtered, like it was proposed this year, um, and go to the states, that entitlement would stay, but that only allows you to be inpatient. That takes all your rights away to be in the community because all the home and community-based services are not entitled. So what was so scary was thinking how, I mean, myself and others, a lot of us use a combination of technologies, personal care assistance, um, to, be, to be just people. Like, you know, we have husbands and wives and children and jobs and community commitments. Um, and without those technologies and assistance, all of that would go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess we would be forced to either stay in a very restrictive environment, such as like an inpatient facility, um, or just, I mean, what's even scarier in some ways, just kind of wither away into the right. nothing, you know, um, which is really scary because not enough people know about this problem so that when it happens, the outrage really is only coming from the people who really understand it, like myself and other people with ADAPT, um, who know how serious it is. Uh, that you know, there could be children that's parents would have to go away because they wouldn't be able to take care of themselves um, physically. Yeah. Um, you mention a lot about how restrictive these inpatient facilities can be and how important the idea of having a choice in where you live and what you do and and where you are. When we spoke initially, we talked a lot about the Disability Integration Act. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about the freedom of choice. Um, And I, as an EMT, I pick up and drop off patients at nursing homes all the time, almost every single day. Can you explain how that freedom of choice works for our listeners and um, and why it's so crucial? Absolutely. So, okay. So, again, if you have a disability that affects your ability to take care of your personal care needs, like activities of daily living, um, toileting, feeding yourself, bathing, dressing, um, you, you might be steered to live in a restricted community like a nursing home or institution because there's a structure to take care of you in that way. Um, this is not directed by you as the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be the, the, the organization or the company that runs the, the, in the, the facility that would decide what time it, you go to bed, what time you eat, um, pretty much decides anything for you because they're the ones in charge of the staff that are taking care of the needs that you can't take care of yourself physically. Mm. Now, we know that with the right funding and with a more, with a structure that's more like, sometimes the term is called a consumer-driven or consumer-led, um, you'd be able to, to take care of yourself and take care of your responsibilities as a human being and also have the choice of what time you go to bed or what you eat um, for dinner. That's a big one. Imagine, mm. like, simply, you know, not being able to choose what you want to eat for dinner anymore or what time to to eat it. Um, it's, it seems a little outrageous that 
you could lose that freedom or liberty simply because you can't get on and off the toilet because right. of an injury or a disability. It's that's how it is though right now. Um, and with the Disability Integration Act, which is it's a current bill in both the Senate and the House um, that we're working to get co-sponsors and to hopefully get to and through a committee, um, it would make it so that long-term services and supports, which is things that would help you if you were permanently disabled, mm -hmm. like that assistance in your home with personal care assistance or technology, would it, it would be a civil right that other insurances would have to cover and it wouldn't only be Medicaid. Right. That would be paying for these. Other health insurances and programs would have to be paying for long-term services and supports for people with significant disabilities. Um, this is not entirely new. This, the idea around this legislation has been around for a while. Um, it's just not incredibly popular because I think we as a society stay really safe. We're thinking, well, if I have a disability, especially a severe disability or what's perceived to be as a severe disability, my life would be over and I wouldn't want to burden my family or burden my community by even being here. Maybe it's best that I go away and lose all my liberties and freedoms, um, which is just, Jeez. I know, it's, it's, it's not good for anything, but that's how it works right now because, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think particularly shocking to someone who's less educated about health insurance as a as a topic like myself uh, is that Medicaid is truly the only thing where you can get long-term assistance if you're disabled. So obviously that has to have some sort of effect within, you know, a healthcare facility or a hospital context is, you know, or maybe I'm wrong. Is that a, an unfair assumption? Um, you know, when you go to the doctor, when you go to the hospital, um, you know, is it pretty much the same as, probably me walking into a hospital where I just say, hey, here's what's wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, but no. Okay. Um, well, again, and I'm a more complicated case because I'm born with a, a genetic disability that affects my whole body. Mm. So, therefore, if you were looking in the hospitals, it's kind of like a business. Like, it's their job to pass me off to the most highest risk, most expensive mm. medical care. Um, but... That's actually not – so so co-pays and different things might be a little bit on the higher side for me because right. um, I have, you know, more specific and unique needs. So maybe that's that's okay. What, what gets really tough is the stuff that you need to live in the community, like the wheelchairs mm. um, or any other type of technology. Um, that's where if you don't have Medicaid, you don't have a chance of even getting it because, like – even Medicare, which is what a lot of people with disabilities are on only, to not all of those durable medical equipment um, or, well, not all the durable like, medical equipment will be covered. They'll cover like 80% of it. And that's going to be about the same for all the HMOs if you work. So if you have a significant disability that requires technologies or personal assistance, um, you better be on Medicaid or you're going to eventually not be able to pay for it. Now it gets even more complicated because Medicaid is a poverty program. There are limits. A 
um, you have to meet the criteria and eligibility, which is to stay pretty dead broke <laughs> um, and have no savings <laughs> and have no money, which is kind of horrible if we think about it. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, originally when we spoke that to, to be on those programs, you actually need to spend, essentially spend away all of your savings. Yeah. It's, it's to, to even qualify, so. Right, like, yeah, if you have it, like they, they have income limits um, and saving limits where um, it's different, but in this state and in a few other states, you can buy into, if you're disabled, so you have to apply and if they deem you permanently disabled, you can pay into Medicaid so that you'll be able to afford living in the community and your life. Um, but if you really think about it, it, it's kind of mind-boggling that you think that we have working people with disabilities paying into a poverty program, mm. if that makes sense, because their the insurance they get through their employer only covers 80% of their needs. And depending on what private health insurance, because I've been working for a long time, my employer has had all the different HMOs and PPOs and health insurances, depending on the particular health insurance company, they may or may not have caps on mm -hmm. how much your out-of-pocket expenses could be. Um, so, and typically the things that I need are not capped, so it could go on to infinity. Um, and and it, the healthcare system is, it's just, it's not built great for people with disabilities yet, which you would think it would be because right. I mean I think an average person thinks like that's the point like, of it. That's the point of it, right? But you'd be surprised. This is not really about health insurance or Medicaid, but you'd be surprised how many healthcare facilities are not even ADA accessible. Yeah, well let's let's talk about that. I mean, yeah. getting into this room specifically wasn't the simplest thing. We ran into a construction, <laughs> you know, construction <laughs> site basically moving in on the the wheelchair ramp. Right. Um, but and this is a, a school, right? Right. Built, but you're right. There is temporary construction over the wheelchair ramp, and and I'm sure that that's breaking some sort of rule, rule or code. But um, in a healthcare facility, because they're taking care of you, they can get away with some things being inaccessible, which makes no sense because a lot of people that's the first place that they are where they start to experience long-term disability. Mm -hmm. So I, it's it's actually really common where there'll be like one wheelchair accessible toilet on the whole floor. Hmm. So it's not going to be in your room or anything like that, if there is one. Um, and, th and they'll just say, well, you know, you can use a commode or something like that. The OBGYN experience is ridiculous because the tables are not exactly built for women with disabilities huh. to get on. So a lot of tests are skipped or done Whoa. from the wheelchair. I know, which is not the safest thing. Mammograms are made for people standing or average size. Um, and I'm sure that there are examples of these machines and technologies both accessible, but they're hard to find. We're in Boston. Right. There's a lot of hospitals. Here. Right. <laughs> I right. know for a fact there's like one accessible mammogram machine <laughs> in the whole city, which is bizarre, <laughs> I, but it is. I mean, maybe that was two years ago. Maybe maybe they pulled this together by now. I doubt it. But, <laughs> um, Could any more than one? Right. Could any more than one? Well, yeah, you would think there'd be more than one, <laughs> but I saw them scrambling, and I yeah. don't know if there is. Like, um, cause, and, and, and something much more common is even just a, a scale that you get weight on, there, there's definitely more than one, and they're coming up, popping up in more and more doctor's offices, but they're, they're not the norm yet. It's not, the, it's not really that common. Hmm. So again, people just get skipped, or they guess how much they weigh, and yeah. that shouldn't be allowed to be trusted. 
they're they're at the hospital because they're seeking treatment, like they're sick. Like, right. You shouldn't be asking somebody well, how much do you weigh, and they say, oh, two hundred pounds. I think. I mean, I was weighed four years ago. <laughs> right, right. And they take it. They take it. It's unbelievable um, because access to that accessible technology is not as um, easy as it should be. Right. So. I've read stories of hospitals not having translation services for uh, people who use American Sign Language. Yep. Um, I think it's it's also just sort of the the like you said the scope of what disability is you know one in five Americans ha- live with a disability um, so it means a lot of things you know it means a lot of things and uh, but it, it, you would think in a hospital that it would be much better it's something you said about health insurance or no you said it about the hospitals you said you know I am a bit more expensive for them to care for so yeah. for the you know the the, the the real point of it is for them to ship me off to the next person down the line. Um, well, that might be the ER, too. Or the ER, right. It's ridiculous to think about that. Right. Uh, to me, the, the goal of a hospital isn't that. I mean, it's a, it should not be profit. I, I can understand that if it's a business, it has to have some bottom line. But, um, you know, I think it must vastly outweigh the amount of people that are going in just to get routine appointments must vastly outweigh any other cost so right yeah i was just thinking about like being on the outskirts of it all where sometimes you're you're healthy in quotes but have like a minor much more typical ailment Mm. but because i came with the disabilities and everything it's people just don't want to really touch it if it makes sense yeah um but that's a whole other a whole other and i think so, because again, my disability, because I'm born with it, is actually in the bucket of developmental disability. Mm-hmm. Cause I've had it my whole life. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's in the in the same realm of like cerebral palsy or Down syndrome. I mean, mine's called osteogenesis imperfecta. But a lot of people who were born thirty something years ago were not expected to survive. Mm. I mean, they. I'm. You would think they would figure that out now that we're right. going to. But that affects how adult medicine embraces us and accepts us. Wow, still today. Still today, yes. I mean, honestly, sometimes I'm still told, well, this physician will see you at Children's, which, I mean, and the physician himself will always say it's a mixed boat because you're an adult and the the adult internal medicine people need to just, like, just learn that this is the difference and right. moving on. You know what I mean? Because... So... Yes. Uh, let me try to... I want to make sure I'm understanding this. The adult internal internists, I guess, yes. don't don't really understand the disability you have because 30 years ago they weren't really even teaching it. They weren't really even exactly. a, so. There's there's honestly a knowledge gap. So then they send you to children's. It's wow, ridiculous! I'm not the only one too, and that's because those doctors are comfortable with the 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 like conditions you're born with. But what's frustrating to them is they're like pediatric doctors. Right. Now you're an adult. Right. You've gone through puberty. You maybe right. have, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like you, right. there are a million it's things that body. happen. Right. You should be able to deal with the adult internist doctor, but they seem to freak out about everything because I guess they don't have the background of the differences. I mean, 
it, it's a little bizarre. I, yeah. I, I will, and I know this is a common thing for people with developmental disabilities. So yeah. I'm not joking. I mean, I can have a cough, and next thing you know, I'm in the ER because they're just being overcautious. <sighs> I know. <laughs> it's like, a, and and then I got on this because we're talking about health insurance. Right. And yeah. And then there's a $500 copay for the ER, of course. Right. So then the cough become, you know, an $8 bottle of Robitussin becomes a $500 trip to the ER. Much, right. And, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that some people as they age with these lifelong disabilities start to go to the doctor a little bit less because... Yeah. Right. <laughs> you might end up at the ER. It, it sounds bizarre. I'm laughing because I so many stories that come to my head where I'm just like, of friends, because I've been doing advocacy for a long time. I have a lot of friends with significant disabilities where you laugh about it because it's, if you don't, you'll cry, but you'll be like... Like you said, this could have been an eight dollar or strep throat, and next thing you know, they go all over the place. Yeah, and and all you had was strep throat, which you know should have been able to been taken care of in the office that you first went to. Right. Right. But for whatever reason, somehow you ended up in the ER because that's like the go-to place when they can't handle it in the office. Yeah. And trust me, I've protested many times about the five hundred dollar copay. Yeah. And and it doesn't really work. Huh. <laughs> so is it simple enough? I wow. I mean, is it, what's your, like, what would you wish that these, you know, physicians would do differently, I guess? Not saying that they can't or can or, it's an insurance problem. Okay. I think that we need more funding or some type of value system to people who are healthy, but who have lifelong disabilities, like cerebral palsy or spina bifida or Down syndrome or even my own, um, that so that they don't end up being more expensive. Like, they might already be a little bit more expensive than a typical healthy person, but they, by sending them to the ER and sending them all these doctors that don't really have the answers for them, makes them even more expensive. Right. If that makes sense. And and sometimes it's literally an access thing. Like with the strep throat, that wasn't my problem, that was somebody else's problem, where sh- they have several policy and there's spasms and different things so that the nurse practitioner didn't feel comfortable doing the tests because of how his body reacted. Mm. Um, his body is healthy, except for several policy where there's a lot of like uncontrolled muscle spasms and movements. Um, and it was kind of like around his mouth, but he still just had strep throat, like a regular <laughs> healthy person. Right. So after the ER, <laughs> had to convince him he didn't need to be sedated for the test. Right. I don't know what happened. Eventually he got out. But um, it is funny how the 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 nature of like, we know best and we will take care of you best, it it just seems to be such a lie, especially when you're coming with a body that they don't know best. Right, and that you know, know best. Well, yeah, I think everybody knows their body best, sure. to be honest. Yeah. You know, the whole system needs to listen to people better, but especially for people with more significant, obvious disabilities. Um, the system isn't built for to listen to anybody, so not listening to these people, like me, makes it even more expensive because mm. now we're just going doing all these things that we didn't need to do. Right. So you've been protesting and you've built kind of a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am consistently going to your Twitter feed to see oh, you. who you're talking about, who you know, who I should be listening to. Um, was there a specific moment where you said, okay, enough is enough, I'm going to start yelling? Or, and I mean that in the, you know, the best right. of ways. Um, or, you know, you said you were born with your disability. Is Did you just kind of grow up an activist? Do you come from an activist family, or what was it? I don't come from a real activist family. I come, to, 
I, I pretty much come from a pretty vanilla, run-of-the-mill family. This year probably pushed them a little bit out of their comfort zones. Yep. Um, because it was a little bit more public and a little bit more yelling. But it's also absolutely ridiculous times mm-hmm. um, for anybody. Sure. But um, So for this, I try to keep my activism, to be honest, a little bit less radical. I, I, I like collaborating. I like coalition building. I think that that's where the real change needs to be at because disability is common normal it's it's not this huge tragic thing that um it's perceived to be it's 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 pretty typical normal and it's, it's huge it could affect any major life function not just walking it could be thinking or breathing or seeing your hair so i've always i've always been an activist but this year because especially after the election when it was clear that um things were going to get worse because for the disability rights movement it was already kind of bad so for it to get worse is really bad Mm -hmm. and then it got really worse for like all the wrong reasons like again all of human home community-based services were on the table they were going to like destroy medicaid and just put it all to the states so all the protests i was yelling at but the very last one where there was that last ditch effort um by uh graham cassidy Mm -hmm. um typically kind of moderate republican senators but um they really are just obsessed with repealing Obamacare because they just you know, hate Obama, I guess, uh, and also seem to be kind of obsessed with destroying Medicaid, which has nothing to do with Obama, mm. but <laughs> right. they, see, they really can't get over it. So the last protest, um, a, a lot more adapters than the others have come to D.C., um, and yeah, I mean, I always thought it wouldn't pass, but even for it to be on the table and even for right. it to happen again. Because w- this summer, once McCain said he would vote no against a repeal, I thought that they would leave the health care alone. I mean, I'm no expert judge. I know nothing. It's sure. just me and my opinions. Um, and then, because Cassidy, you know, Bill Cass from Louisiana, he was always talking about some type of moderate, you know, change, even before this summer and everything. But I thought that that was just going to be over, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then... Mm, I guess it was like late August, kind of, right? It was before Labor Day. Well, it was kind of. Yeah, I think it was the second to last week of September, or maybe the last week of September. The last week of September is when they had a hearing on it. And right. That's where I had my last protest. Okay, yes, sorry. That was what I was talking yes. about. Yeah, okay. yeah, I was talking about when I was before like, watching that. the news. Yeah. Like, They're really going to. It's happening again. again. <laughs> the <laughs> sequel or the third or whatever. I like, dude, like, did, don't you guys have careers you want to protect? <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know. Um, but. Yeah, so September 25th, there was a so-called public hearing. It, I guess it was open to the public. I mean, they let 20 people from the public come in. That's Yeah, it's uh, it's not public at all. It's bull. It was complete bull. Um, and so we were in D.C., ADAPT. Um, we woke up at 4.30 in the morning to get to the, at least the Senate building doors to stand a chance to be close to the front of the line of the actual hearing room. Um, and we did. Like, myself and a few others were actually right at the top of the line by the Senate hearing room. The hearing didn't happen until 2 p.m. Hmm. So they opened the doors. It was either 7.30 or 8. It's a lot of waiting around. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. You know, couldn't drink much coffee or anything because there's not a lot of opportunities to go to the bathroom. Sure. <laughs> that was 
the hardest part. Yeah. Like, I drink a lot of coffee throughout the day. So to get up at 4.30, luckily once we were in line outside the hearing room, some, there was a lot of other people, um, you know, who care about healthcare and stuff, who joined us in line and offered to save spaces to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. or, or someone, someone brought me a coffee because I was... You were desperate. I was a little desperate. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. That was a lot. That was a lot. Like, yeah. No. Yeah. I, I was hoping there was gonna be a Starbucks open on the way there at 4:30 in the morning. Nothing. Nothing. No. Yep. So, um, and then once in the hearing, it was actually pretty nerve-wracking because we went there to disrupt it. Right. Because it's not wasn't really open to the public. It, it, it just didn't make any sense. Um, and we successfully disrupted it. I think my my next prayer would be it would not actually disrupt it. I mean, it went to re- it went into a recess. Mm. And that's good. That's um, great. Right? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, and there was fourteen of us um, from Adapt that made it into the hearing room, um, and everybody. It was a good group because everybody there is really invested. Like you probably saw pictures of Host Way. He actually got carried out of his wheelchair um, because he was you know, refusing to move, mm. which was the point. He's from El Paso, Texas. He's been organizing protests in El Paso um, to try to get people in that area to, to be vocal about health care. Right. And he's been really successful. Um, you saw Cassie being dragged out. I mean, they actually held her arms down because she was trying to not leave. And they pulled her chair out as well. I know. <laughs> Jeez. I know. But again, like that, that's the, we went there for that point. I didn't see any of the footage, obviously, until the next day or pretty right. late that night because we, um, once we got arrested and everything, they let us out like one in the morning. So all the, the nightly news and everything, I'm already gone. I have no phone. Um, but you, you, you're just hoping like, it worked. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. Like, it worked and that people understood what just happened. Um, and they did. Obviously, I saw the footage after. But that's right. also kind of nerve-wracking because you're doing it to to get people to understand that this is like really horrendous um what it would mean which is why screaming is appropriate in that period and, right and, and disrupting recycling mean, believe me i'm all for like law and order i really am i i really really am but it, there's there's no order to this if they're going to just totally slaughter um, right yeah well it feels a lot like I think civil disobedience is an appropriate term for what yeah. you are all doing. Yeah. Um, and ADAPT is a national organization, and you have chapters all over the U.S., and it just seems like, you know, I, I try to pay attention to this stuff, and, and it seems like this summer and just recently with the Graham-Cassidy bill is when I really was, like, kind of shaken and said, hey, there's a group that's doing Pretty amazing things. You have to check them out. And the headlines that were coming out of that were really fantastic. Someone someone wrote, and I'll have to find out what it was and post it on the website, but it was essentially, um, you know, ADAPT is actually working for everyone's health care. Yeah. Like, and, and, I, and I kind of, that to a degree, you know, you got to put an asterisk or asterisk on it because, sure, it's going to help everybody, but, like, let's not immediately – you know, take away the the, the fact that this is a group of disabled people from a disabled community. Um, But I think truly, and I do not just say this to blow smoke, Mm. I think in 20 years when we look back on healthcare, and and hopefully in 20 years things are much different and much better, um, I think when we look back on it, the images of, of ADAPT being pulled out of the 
you know, Mitch McConnell's office and the hearing on Graham Cassidy, I truly think they're going to be the lasting images. Um, and again, I'm not an expert either. Yeah. Um, but it just, it really did strike a chord, I think, with a lot of people in this country. That's, I, I, I need to keep hearing this, and I love hearing that, because it's, um, it's good to hear that the work is valued in some way and has, like, some kind of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, like I said, people will understand how much more was at stake, so that doesn't, because we're already coming from behind, Right. that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, disability rights need a lot more victories, um, and we're kind of always been on the defense. Yeah. Um, but this year was, like, incredible defense. Um, yeah. Yeah, but no, that's, yeah, and, 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 and we are fighting for everyone's health care. Um, and, you know, hopefully now that we've done that, I mean, to a certain degree, it's still horrible times out there politically. It just is. But we can get to passing things like the Disability Integration Act and actually make progress so that more people with disabilities can contribute to the world and the community and we can be a stronger, stronger place. Mm-hmm. Um, so something no one ever talks about is all the jobs for the people who are personal care attendants, who we hire and who we know like their jobs, and mm-hmm. we, we need them to have their jobs so that we can be, you know, contributing successful members of society too. Not a lot of people talk about that. Like there were so many people that would have been affected if right. they decimated Medicaid and repealed the Obamacare. So what are, you mentioned the disability rights um community needs to have a lot more victories. And this, I think, goes into the last question that I want to ask, too. So there's kind of a two-parter. What are some of those victories that you are hoping for that you personally or ADAPT, you can take that question in whatever way? Mm-hmm. And then really kind of what's your – this is a big question. It's kind of, you know, okay. we think about 20 years down the line yeah, for course. healthcare. What's your hope for it? You know, how what does it look like? What's the – not the perfect system. I don't expect any one person to have that answer, but – what do you hope? I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna start with with healthcare because obviously I I personally would like a universal healthcare system. That's not exactly how the single payer bills are right now because mm-hmm. it doesn't include long term services and supports enough. Um, but I do think that um, we need to take out the the competitiveness of the health insurances um, around healthcare and to be more universal and some sort of single payer. Um, but maybe not, quote-unquote, Medicare for all. Does okay. make sense? Sure. But something that would kind of look like that, but a single-payer healthcare system is what I hope and kind of can't believe we don't already have um, to a stronger degree in this country. Um, but then as for disability rights, um, because that's bigger than just healthcare. Mm-hmm. That's actually way bigger than just healthcare. Yeah. Like 62% of college-educated people with disabilities are still unemployed. Wow. Not for lack of trying, right? but because of ableism and stigma, employment is a huge problem. Um, the generation before me had no right to go to public school. And the, no, that, that wow. started, simply using a wheelchair could have taken away your right to go to a public school in the early 70s. And in the mid to late 70s, legislation happened so that they could not discriminate if you used a wheelchair to go to public school. So my generation and the lo- we're educated but we're not employed so and that is huge because that affects the socio-economical statuses of our families mm. um it, it, it runs deep so my what i want as a victory is 
more people with disabilities working in the fields that they want to work in. Because um, the few that do work seem to get sometimes working for disability-related things. Um, and the other thing is, in this country, it's still legal to pay people with disabilities less than minimum wage. So some of the working people are getting paid less than minimum. There's no other group that can be paid less than minimum wage. Um, there's like, you know, tip wages for waitresses and waiters, but there's no other identity group, no other demographic sure. that it's perfectly acceptable to say, well, you know, that we don't think that he can or she can do all this, so we'll pay them pennies to put batteries in and out of the flashlight. Um, and these, these jobs are not necessarily productive to anybody because they're run by large organizations that are kind of warehousing right. people with disabilities. Um, hmm. And that's, that's a real problem. So, yeah, so obviously I want to end the subminimum wage for people. And then uh, there is opposition to that because some people will t- say, well, you know, at least they have something to do. Yeah. At least they have a job. You know, they, 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 like, they have friends there or something. But, and what's hard for people to understand is, you know, when you try to explain to them, but don't you see the injustice of that they are segregated and doing something that's not even worthwhile, and they have no choice over it. Right. They're saying they want to do that because they have no other choice. They think that the other choice is literally nothing. Right. Like in a room by yourself with nothing. Right. And that that though that can't be the shouldn't be the two choices. What about maybe they want to be a chef? Maybe they want to be right. a dog walker. Maybe they want to be a lawyer. I don't know what they want to be. What about what they want? Just because they have intellectual disabilities or other disabilities. Why are those rights being taken away from them? Right. Right. So, yeah, the employment thing is, is deep because... Because people, I mean, people really should... People people are worthy and they deserve more than an at least. Yes. You know, they deserve yes, way more than, than way an... More than well, at least. Like, that's... Oh, that's that's the... That's the debate every single time. Well, at least they have. You're right. That's a great way to put it. They're way they're worth way more than at least. And and everybody has a unique gift and treasure and talent to give. I don't think it's somebody else's decision to say, but this is what you can give. Make yeah. sense? Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, they they all have interests and desires to, to work in where they want to work, where they can work, but somebody might get in the way and, you know, um, say that they can or who knows? There'll always right. be some type of barrier. Um, yeah. You know, and and I think people with intellectual and developmental disabilities maybe are on the 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 worst end of that because they're not recovering from anything. So they never, you know, people who acquire disabilities will say, "Well, I can't be a mechanic anymore because I can't walk," and that's something that they have to get over. This group never <laughs> that was never the case. Like, right. They were just born this way, and they are being treated differently because. They sound differently, they behave differently, they think differently, and people just are uncomfortable around them, which is just completely inappropriate. Yeah. You know? And again, I'm in the developmental disability bucket because I was born with it, I mean, but I don't have intellectual disabilities. Right. Which gives me a little bit more opportunities, but I still, compared to people without any disabilities, have much harder time with yeah. employment and opportunities and the competitiveness of it. Um, because I do things differently, and you know, sometimes we are we we somehow built this society and structure of like this is the way it's supposed to be. You know, right. you're supposed to do these and these these things in this order and this way, and 
know, that's kind of what ableism is, you know what I mean? The structure of it has, you have to be able to do these things in this order, in this way, and then there's all these people with disabilities who might be able to do it, just not in that order or that way. Or maybe they couldn't do it, but they, they shouldn't be denied the opportunity to experience that failure themselves. Right. You know, and like that happens all the time with people with disabilities, especially who have grown up with disabilities. Um, you know, well, you could never be a doctor. And they just believe it. And it's like, well, maybe maybe they really couldn't be a doctor. But I think that it's wrong to take that away from them. Sure. The right to fail. Yeah. But so that's a long answer to your well, very simple question. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for being here with me today. I, yeah. I, um, I, will, I will try very hard in the next couple of uh, months to make this a two-part, three-part, ten-part. Okay. I'd love to have you guys back. Um, <laughs>